Welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Fanny Crosby's Memories of 80 Years, and we are on Chapter 2, The Training of the Blind. Hail, holy light, offspring of heaven, firstborn, and of the eternal, co-eternal being, may I express thee unblamed, since God is light. So much rather thou, celestial light, shine inward, and the mind with all her powers eradicate. There plant eyes, all mist from thence. Purge and disperse, that I may see and tell of things invisible to the mortal sight. Milton. To look forth over the wide expanse of ocean, and behold the white-capped billows in their playful moods, chasing each other as if impatient for the coming of the pure morn, are to look forth from the highest peak of some gigantic mountain in wonder and astonishment on the endless variety of scenes, arising like a magical force in the distance. The ability to do this is a gift, the full significance of which thought can scarcely conceive or language picture. This gift of seeing is one that ought to inspire in the heart of him who possesses it many tender emotions of gratitude to the Eternal One, who, amid the splendors that encircle his throne, lifted a mighty voice through the chaotic gloom that held in midnight darkness, the silent deep, uttering the sublime command, Let there be light. This has always been my favorite theory, that the blind can accomplish nearly everything that may be done by those who can see. Do not think that those who are deprived of physical vision are shut out from the best that earth has to offer. There are a few exceptions that instantly come to my mind. For example, through the medium of sight alone does the astronomer mark the courses, the magnitudes, and the varied motions of all the heavenly bodies, and only through the medium of the eye can the sculptor produce a beautiful statue from the rude and uncut marble. His sight must guide him in reproducing the image that is already modeled in his own mind, and so likewise of the painter, for he frequently pauses in his busy hours and turns his gaze towards the rich crimson clouds which fall so gracefully amid the glories of the autumn sunset. He must try to reproduce the vision that he gets from them, and it is only through the eye that the picture of the actual cloud enters. From attaining high rank in these fine arts, the blind of necessity are debarred, but not so from poetry and music, in which the mind gives us a true image of reality. Almost every lad at school is able to relate stray bits of legendary lore of ancient and modern artists who have been blind. Indeed, who can forget Euclid, the blind Geometrician, or Homer, the blind bard, or Milton, the author of that beautiful apostrophe, to light, which was quoted in the beginning of this chapter. A great many people fancy that blind learn music only by ear, never by note. And yet a number of musical experts have told me that their blind pupils learn as proficiently as others by the latter method. It is truly wonderful, marvelous, to what a degree the memory can be trained, not only by those who rely upon it for most of their knowledge of the external world, but by all who wish to add to their general intellectual culture. But why should the blind be regarded as objects of pity? Darkness may indeed throw a shadow over the outer vision, but there is no cloud, however dark, that can keep the sunlight of hope from the trustful soul. 
One of the earliest resolves that I formed in my young and joyous heart was to leave all care to yesterday and believe that the morrow would bring forth its own peculiar joy. And behold, when the morrow dawned, I generally had found that the human spirit can take on the rosy tints of the reddened east. Early and late I played with the children of my own age, and our elders were in the habit of remarking that Fanny Crosby was certain to be interested in any mischief that occurred. With the agility of a squirrel, I used to climb trees and ride horses as fleet as the wind, while I hung onto their mane for dear life and climbed stone fences in every respect, just like other children. Whenever I tore my dress, I managed to keep out of Mother's sight until I fancied she would not notice it, which was a very rare occurrence indeed. When I was six weeks of age, a slight cold caused an inflammation of the eyes, which appeared to demand the attention of the family physician. But he not being at home, a stranger was called. He recommended the use of hot polices, which ultimately destroyed the sense of sight. When this sad misfortune became known throughout our neighborhood, the unfortunate man thought it best to leave, and we never heard from him again. But I have not for a moment, in more than eighty-five years, felt a spark of resentment against him, because I have always believed from my youth to this very moment that the good Lord, in his infinite mercy, by this means consecrated me to the work that I am still permitted to do. When I remember his mercy and loving kindness, when I have been so blessed above the common lot of mortals, when happiness has touched the deep places of my soul, how can I repine? And I have often thought of the passage of Scripture. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee is be darkness... How great is that darkness? Well, that was a short chapter, but I'm going to stop right there because I think there's a lot just to think about and just to, to mull over. And I just want you to do that. And next week will be Chapter 3, The First Visit to New York. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.